I wonder, uh, have you ever been afraid of missing out on something? Uh, If you haven't, then you are very unusual. I'm sure we've all had that feeling at some point. And the feeling is so common uh, that it's even been given a name. Uh, Don't know if you've ever heard of FOMO or FOMO. Uh, Perhaps if you're younger, you may have come across it. Perhaps not so much if you are older. Uh, But that is the name it's been given, FOMO, fear of missing out. And the fear is so powerful that advertisers use it all the time. Uh, Every time you drive past a billboard, uh, when you walk past an advertisement on the magazine rack or see it on your TV screen, uh, advertisers are constantly playing on our FOMO. Uh, Buy quickly. Only two left in stock. And you think, oh, there's only two left in stock. I'm not sure I wanted it before, but I definitely want it now. Um, Your FOMO, your fear of missing out, rises. Uh, Have you ever seen a countdown timer? Perhaps when you're uh, buying tickets for something and uh, you have a countdown on there. It says, these are only reserved for two minutes. Um, Buy quickly. Or when you look online, you see five-star reviews in product recommendations. Uh, This ironing board has changed my life. Uh, Your life can be changed too. Uh, Have you ever gone out shopping just to see if there might be a deal which you don't want to miss out on? Have you ever gone to an event just to see what is happening because you don't want to miss out? Uh, We all know that feeling, don't we? And perhaps sometimes it's just innocent curiosity. It's not wrong to be curious. Uh, It's good in some ways, um, to some extent, to be curious and interested. Uh, But it can often deepen into something more serious and problematic. Uh, It can develop into a nearly constant fear that something is happening that we are not a part of, that someone has something which would make our lives complete. And the fear of missing out can drive us to distraction. In these few verses, uh, the Apostle Peter, in this letter written towards the close of his life, uh, gives believers, uh, those who trust in Jesus Christ, the cure for the fear of missing out. He tells us why, if we are a believer... If our trust is in Christ, if we are relying on him to bring us safely to heaven and not relying on ourselves, then we need never fear missing out on anything that is worthwhile. He tells us the answer in verses 3 to 5. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Peter tells us that if our hope is in Christ, 
we have an inheritance which will be given to us that will never rust away like a car. Uh, It will never fade like a memory of some great experience we have had. Uh, It will never lose value like money or like precious metal. Uh, It will never fail like a computer or an electronic device. Peter says it has been reserved for us in heaven as a gift from Christ. And by the way, when Peter says there that it's kept for us, reserved for us in heaven, don't think of golden gates on a fluffy cloud and angels kind of hovering about. That's not what Peter really means when he says that. What Peter is saying is that our inheritance is safely with God. It's in heaven where no one else can get at it. No thief can steal it. No uh, rust can corrupt it. Uh, Nothing can damage it because it's kept by God in heaven and it's beyond the reach of any thief or any harm. That's what Peter means when he says it is reserved in heaven for us. But it does beg the question, what is the inheritance? When, when we receive inheritances on earth, it tends to be uh, cash, um, money in a bank account, uh, perhaps a possession, heirlooms, that sort of thing. We can understand that. But has Christ got a bank account reserved for us? Has he got some heirlooms to give to us? What is the inheritance that Christ has for us? And the reality is sometimes we can read of this inheritance in God's word and it doesn't move us. It's given many names. It's called the kingdom of God. It's called eternal life. It's called heaven. Sometimes it's just simply called glory. And we can read those words, but they can almost be meaningless to us. They sound good. They sound nice. We kind of want them, but we don't necessarily know why. If I was to tell you, and you believed me, that some long-lost cousin who you didn't know uh, had died and left you a fortune... I'd expect your emotions to be affected. Uh, You may hide it well on the outside, but I'm sure you'd feel some sort of joy. Sadness for the death of your um, relative you never knew, perhaps, but also an excitement at the inheritance you're going to receive. And yet, that's exactly what we hear when we read God's words. And yet so often it can leave us unmoved. Uh, We're more excited about a few extra pounds in the bank account than we are about this uh, inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and reserved in heaven for us. Somehow we are blind to what we have in Christ. But that's not a new problem. It's a problem that existed way back when the New Testament was first written. Uh, Paul Uh, He knew it was a problem. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, he writes to the Ephesian church and he prays for them that their eyes would be opened, uh, that their eyes would be opened to see 
all that they have in Christ. Uh, He says in Ephesians 1 verse 18, he says, I pray that you, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Paul knows that we can be dull of hearing. Uh, Our eyesight can be dim. Uh, We get more excited about the things of this earth, the things we can see and taste and touch, and we lose sight of all that we have been uh, reserved as an inheritance in heaven. Uh, So I'd just like to spend the rest of our time looking uh, just a little bit uh, at the inheritance that we've been given by Christ. And trustfully, uh, God will open our eyes uh, if we are a believer uh, to all that we have been given in him. So what is this inheritance? Uh, What do we receive because of what Christ has done for us? And you can sum it up in one word. Uh, One word sums it up. And that word is everything. We receive everything through Christ. Now you might want to look up 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 21. And Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and there are fightings and squabbles happening within the church. And some people are saying, oh, we follow this eloquent teacher. And others are saying, no, no, we follow this eloquent teacher. And they're squabbling about it, and they're arguing about who is better. And Paul seeks to bring an end to these squabbles. And he says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21, Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Uh, What Paul says here is that in Christ we are given all things because everything belongs to Christ. Uh, Psalm 2 says that, or God speaks to his son. And he speaks to Christ and he says, ask of me and I will give you the nations of the world for your inheritance, for your possession. And when we become a believer, when we put our faith in Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. We become, as a church, the spouse of Christ. And as in the wedding vows, uh, you say, all the husband says, all is his, all that's his is his wife's and all that is his wife's is his own. So it is with us in Christ. We are given all things through Christ. That's why the Bible says that one day we will reign with him. If you can get your head around that, I can't. (laughs) What does that mean, to reign with Christ? Uh, Let's let's just try to make that a little bit more real to us this morning. Uh, I wonder, where is the place you'd most like to be in the world? Perhaps this morning it's somewhere a little bit cooler. Um, But what is your most favourite place in the world? And imagine you are there. Um, A few years ago, I went on a holiday uh, to Greece, and I got to drive all around Greece and got to see many of the uh, sites um, that are spoken of in the New Testament. Uh, But on that trip, I also went on a ferry to the island of Ithaca, uh, or now known as Ithaca, um, and while I was there, I hired a little motorboat and motored out into the harbour at Ithaca. 
And all around me uh, were uh, whitewashed houses with terracotta roofs. And I was sailing around on clear blue sea and there were wooded mountains on the horizon. And I could dip my feet into the warm water. And I'd love to go back there. Uh, It was a beautiful place to be. But here's the thing. Uh, Through Christ, I own, in a sense, Ithaca. Um, Ithaca is mine because it belongs to Christ. And what is Christ belongs to me because Christ has redeemed it through his blood on the cross. Now, I know what you're thinking. Uh, You're thinking, but the Bible says uh, this world will be burned up. Um, Ithaca will not exist forever, and that is true. But what happens after that? One day, God is going to draw the curtain on this world, but then he's going to renew it. Uh, He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And do you really believe that the new earth will be less good than this one? Of course not. All the things, all the good things at least, that we enjoy in this world will be renewed and we'll get to enjoy them without sin, without pain, without heartache. Uh, As the end of Revelation puts it, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more death, there'll be no more pain. Uh, Your greatest holiday on earth will seem like torture (laughs) compared to the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, It reminds me of a story which I told um, some time back, but... I'll tell it again, and I'll, I'll give the same warning I gave then, that this is not a particularly theologically accurate uh, story in some ways, um, but it makes a point which is. Um, and there was once an old man on the island of Crete, and during his lifetime he loved many things. Uh, he loved his wife, his children, his job, um, and most importantly, he loved Christ. He was a believer. Uh, but he also loved his land. Uh, he loved the island's of Crete. He loved the very ground he walked on and worked with and in which he hoped to be buried. Um, and when it was time for him to die, he had his sons uh, wheel him outside, uh, out of his stone cottage, and he lay on the earth and he grabbed a handful of the soil of Crete and he breathed his, laugh, his last. Now, this is where you'll have to use uh, imaginative license at this point. But imagine uh, that he arrived at the gate of heaven and an angel uh, came to welcome him him in. But he noticed the man's clenched fist and he asked him, what are you clutching in your hand? And he said, oh, it's just a little part of Crete. I want to take it with me. But the angel said to him, leave it behind. You will not be allowed in with it in your hands. But the old man protested and he obstinately clenched his fist even tighter and he said, never. And he went to sit outside the beautiful city walls. Uh, After a week passed, the angel appeared to him a second time and he said to him, my friend, dust belongs to the wind. Drop that piece of earth and come inside. But the old man was still adamant, never. I will never let go of Crete. During the third week, the angel came out again to seek to persuade him. And he said, you will not be allowed in the heavenly city 
with that dirt in your hand. I cannot explain why now, but when you get through, you will understand. But still the man was obstinate. But as the weeks went by, all the moisture in the earth began to go dry. And the man's hands became pained with clutching it for so long. And eventually, with regrets, he let the dirt slip through his finger. And the angel came out a final time and he said, heaven is only for those with open hands. And the old man thought about it and finally he stood up and he did not even look down as he released the crumbling dirt of Crete. And the angel took his hand and led him towards the glorious gates and the gates swung open and before him the man could see the whole island of Crete, perfected and beautified. Now, as I say, there's a certain amount of imaginative license there. But the fundamental truth, it still stands. God has given, has given us a new heavens, a new earth where righteousness dwells. We do not have to cling to the passing, fleeting pleasures of this world. Uh, This world is running down. Uh, Paul says this world is groaning, waiting for the redemption of the sons of God. Uh, Perhaps your body is groaning right now. (laughs) As you get older, as we get older, we feel more aches and pains and we groan, waiting for the day when we're given a new body. Uh, How foolish it would be to cling to this crumbling body when we have a perfected one waiting for us, a perfected earth. This is why Peter says that we do not need to fear missing out because God has an inheritance reserved for us. But you might object again and you say, but but surely uh, our inheritance is Christ himself. Uh, It's not a world, however nice that might be. Surely our inheritance is is Christ. And that's true. Um, But that is to view God's creation in the wrong light. Uh, God's creation should not be seen as a rival to him. Uh, It's a bit like this. Imagine a child on Christmas Day and his parents have laboured long to find the perfect present for him or her. And uh, they have gone to the shops and they have searched for the present which they think will please their child most. And they wrap it up and they're waiting with great expectation to see the smile on their child's face when they open the present. And they hand it to them Christmas morning. And then the child says, oh no, mummy. Oh no, daddy. I don't want a present. I just want you. It's not quite right, is it? <laughs> Those parents want their child to receive the present because their love is shown in that present. Uh, by rejecting that present, they are, that child is, in a, in a sense, rejecting even their parents. When Christ gives us creation, he gives it as a gift to reveal himself to us. As Psalm 19 puts it, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Uh, This world, this creation we see, the sea, the sun, the clouds, 
are telling us of the glory of God if only we have eyes to see it. The tragedy is that so often we separate creation from the creator. We either take the creation, take the good gifts God gives to us, and forget about the creator, which is what the majority of people in this world do, or the more spiritual problem, if I can put it that way, that we sort of focus on Christ, a kind of image in our minds, but we ignore the creation God has given us to reveal himself to us. Uh, It's both. God's glory is refracted through the prism of his creation. We should look at the creation and rejoice in the God who created it because it teaches us more about him. Uh, When we see the wind blow across a cornfield on a summer's day, uh, when we see the sun glisten off a lake, Uh, When we hear birds sing in the trees, all these things are teaching us something about the glory of the goodness of God and the glory of Christ. Again, if only we have ears to hear it and eyes to see it. And in the new heavens and in the new earth, we will see it. Uh, We will, as we sang in that uh, last hymn, uh, we will know that heaven above is softer blue and earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue, Christless eyes have never seen. Uh, Creation will not be a rival to to Christ. It will be a means by which we know Christ better. We will see him in all things. Uh, Heaven will be a delight because we will see Christ in every blade of grass and see his beauty in every flower that blooms. Uh, We will not love them instead of Christ, We will love them because of Christ. This is the glorious inheritance that we've received uh, from Christ because of his death on the cross. We do not need to fear missing out on anything. We do not need to uh, fear sacrificing anything for Christ because he will more than make up for it in the future. Uh, And not even just the future, but even now, in ways which um, we perhaps don't fully understand. Uh, I've heard the story of David Livingston, and apparently, uh, I forget the context of it, but towards the end of his life, uh, I think uh, someone had asked him about the sacrifices he had made to be a missionary in Africa. Uh, I forget all the words, but at the end of it, he wrote, uh, of all his sacrifices, um, earthly sacrifices anyway, And then at the end of it all, he said, I sacrificed nothing. (laughs) I sacrificed nothing because of all that he had in Christ. Do you feel the freedom that gives? Do you see what freedom that should allow us to live with? Uh, Even if you were to die tomorrow, you miss out on nothing. Even if you give up all your holiday to serve Christ... (laughs) you lose out on nothing. Even if you give away all your money to the poor, you lose out on nothing because we have a glorious inheritance reserved for us. And yet, it's true, isn't it, that we cling so much to this world. Uh, For some unknown reason, we still want that newer car. We want that better house. We want that new experience. And of course, these things can be enjoyed Uh, they 
um, are a rest in the busyness of life. But let's not set our hearts on them. They're fading. They're crumbling. They'll be taken away from us one day. Set your heart, set your hope on a living hope, on Christ. Now, in closing, do you remember Christ when he was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil? And do you remember the last temptation that Satan gave him? He took him on a high mountain and he showed him all the nations of the earth. And Satan said to him, look at all these nations of the world and I will give them to you if you bow down and worship me. What did, Satan, what did, uh, what did Christ say? Christ said, get thee hence, Satan. Depart from me. Because Christ knew they were his anyway. God would give them to him, but not the easy way. He had to go the path of pain. He had to go the path of the cross. And then God would give him all the nations of the world as his inheritance. And Satan gives us the same temptation. He tempts us with all the shiny things around us. And he says, I will give you all these things if you just serve me. But like Christ, we should say, depart from me. Get away from me, Satan. We have an inheritance which has already been given to us, which is reserved for us, which has been won for us, which has been redeemed for us by Christ. So don't listen to Satan's lies. Don't succumb to his seductions. Set your hope fully on the inheritance that is given to us. And over the next few weeks, uh, we'll be looking about how that inheritance should influence the way we live day by day. But we'll close by singing number 820. And it's a hymn which, uh, in song form, uh, sets our eyes on that wonderful inheritance. It was written by uh, Robert Murray McShane, and you'll notice from the years of his life that he died young. Uh, he was younger than I was when he died, 29 or 30 years old. And yet he didn't lose out on anything because of the glory he was given by Christ. So let's stand to sing 820. When this passing world is done, when has sunk yon radiant sun, when I stand with Christ on high, looking o'er life's history, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. So let's stand to sing 820.